Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. (laughs) Who are you? What do you do? We currently don't have a clue, but give us 40 minutes of your time. And we'll get along just fine on the Joe Marler Show. It's the Joe Marler Show. That, that, my friend, was a fantastic jingle. Get in. You have put a lot of effort into that one. Well done. Thank you. Finally. Who are you? What are we doing? I'm Joe Marler, and this is Tom Fordyce. Welcome to our show. You've got a bandana today. I have. It's quite Willie Nelson, but I do, I mean that as a compliment. I hurt myself today. That's Willie Nelson. Isn't that him? Does he sing that? Is that Willie Nelson? Johnny Cash. You've done Johnny Cash, I think. Have I? You've done, yeah, you've done. <laughs> you've we done, need to double check done Johnny that. Cash doing Nine Inch Nails. You're always on my mind. All your impressions. You are always on my mind. Welcome to us. <laughs> <laughs> Have you never heard Nelson Mandela sing Willie Nelson? What a duet that was. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. How are you? More importantly, Listen, are you okay this week? I'm good. I'm very excited about today's guest. I'm generally excited about the guests because, let's face it, we have chosen them. So <laughs> if we weren't excited, something's gone wrong in the process. And we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. Right, before we get started, let's use that hashtag grow the show, shall we? If you like it, use grow the show. And please, that's too begging. And if you think it's worthy of it, why don't you give us a five-star review? Yeah, we're not desperate, but if you feel it's no, worth five stars... Yeah, and we need more than just me or you and doing our families. the... And fi- Yeah, well, not my family hasn't even given it a five-star review, so maybe someone else can, yeah. The bad news is we can't practice anymore. This is actually for real. The good news is we've got Britain's leading expert in psychopaths. How have you done that, then? Steve's done it, to be fair. I've had nothing to do with it, but Steve says he's brilliant, so let's see how it goes. Are you interested in psychopaths? Sorry, is that le- this is legit. We're getting a psychopath expert on. First actual guest. Psychopathy is one of my favourite topics. It's not the sort of topic that you... Let's say you met a girl for the first time and she says, Oh, what are you into, Joe? You wouldn't say I'm into... Psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it. I like how the mind works or how it doesn't work. I like... The chemical stuff, I like all that, everything around the mind and and anyone we can get on to help explain that a bit more uh, makes me quite excited. So uh, Yeah, my only fear is this is our first guest, we could blow it right now. What if this goes massively wrong? Well, then it'll be fine. We just walk away, do we? I'm walking away from the really shit podcast, (laughs) I'm walking away and find another thing to do. Joe, I think he's... Hang on, I think he's here. I can see him over there. Oh, God, I'm scared. Come on, we can do this. I'm scared. You think you might be a psychopath, though? No. The knobhead with the mohawk tends to not be the psychopath. Tends to be the guy who's, you know, just casually holding a guitar and next minute he's chopped someone up and put them in a freezer. Well, let's find out. Should we get him on? (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Our guest today knows a lot about psychopaths. A bit worrying. Uh, he's written a book called Making a Psychopath, My Journey into Seven Dangerous Minds. His name is Dr. Mark Freestone. He worked on Killing Eve as a consultant. Hello, Mark. Hello, Joe. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much for coming. Tommy, you saying hello? Or? I'm very excited about it today, Mark. Joe and I have talked a lot about this. A lot. I sent you some stuff about a famous psychopath yesterday. Yes, you did. Which took me to some dark places. But in my head, because I was preparing it to talk to Mark, some of that has sort of merged with Mark. So I apologise if I start backing away. 
that's fine. And I can understand why you're slightly scared, because I've actually got a quote here from Mark. Do you mind if I just read out the quote? Here we go. I have eaten with psychopaths, played music, laughed and cried with them, seen them bleed and in one case, die. Yeah, that's not helped me at all. (laughs) I've actually shuddered. I said the words and I've shuddered. So that's a quote, is it, Mark? It is a quote from the book, yes. Wow. Um, What do you mean you've eaten with psychopaths? What, casually? Just been like, uh, hello, um, Dennis. Eat out to help out. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy a bite tonight? Yeah, lovely. No, well, what I used to do was work in high secure hospitals and prisons across the UK. So I worked in, um, among others, Rampton High Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire and Frankland, which is a maximum secure prison in uh, Durham. Uh, a proper jail or a proper jail, as they, they say up there. <laughs> and part of the sort of the service that was set up for psychopaths was to make it sort of more like a social microcosm so a place where people can interact with each other and do normal things together so rather than having the situation that the americans have for example where everyone's locked up behind big steel bars and gates and only you know they only get their cuffs off for an hour a a day we would sit down and have lunch and sometimes dinner with the guys on the wing and just to try and just make life a little bit more normal for them because i think one of the big problems is that psychopaths in particular are very very poorly equipped to function in society and part of the reason part of the reason that they offend is that they really don't know how to deal with social situations that you or i would just take for granted every day like how do you eat properly what do you say to someone when you need to make small talk how do you deal with a difficult conversation without escalating your temper really really high so yeah a lots of times i've sat down and had lunch or anything like that with psychopaths this is this my head is going crazy so immediately when i think of psychopaths i'm like well they're obviously bad they've done horrific things they should be locked up for life and the way in which you've just discussed yeah so we, we came up with this idea where we're just all getting a room um we'll have some lunch together because we find it an easier way to interact with psychopaths mark without being rude why do you want to interact with psychopaths over lunch well, I suppose the point or the root of all of this is what do you want to happen to psychopaths in your society? And that's a question for all of us to think about. But with these, this particular group, I mean, one of the most robust findings from the last 50 years is that it's very difficult to rehabilitate psychopaths. They don't like listening to people. They don't like taking other people's opinions as, as read. And that was the prevailing philosophy. I think we probably... We change that a little bit now, I think, because the main thing that we understand is that all psychopaths are not the same. Some of the research I've done, according to this, there's 374 different types of mental disorders. Right. So, you, so you're, actually, impressive, you're actually yeah. encouraging to come up with more than 374. <laughs> yeah, you, and I sometimes, you know, I, I you want to round it up in the mirror and I can't. I'm like, you want to add more to this, really? <laughs> all these different ways of saying to someone you don't fit and you're bad and... But I think it's uh, it's a big problem because, I mean, first of all, not everyone who's who commits a serious crime is a psychopath. So people commit crimes for lots of different reasons. Some of the men that I've dealt with just have big problems with drugs and they can't kick the drugs and they'll literally do anything to get more drugs. And that's very sad. There's some people who are psychotic and this is a big distinction that you need to make people who are psychotic have an illness like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder or bipolar disorder and they have a problem with the way that they perceive reality so they'll see threats in things that you and i would consider very very mundane they'll hallucinate they'll see things as well but one of the difficult ideas is the idea of something called delusional disorder now people who have a delusional disorder believe things that aren't true and sometimes this is just crazy stuff like ufos are going to abduct me so i need to hide under my kitchen table whoa hang on a minute that's a red flag for me there. Um, <laughs> bit worried. Some of the stuff you're coming out with, I'm sort of ticking some boxes here. But is this not the whole terrifying thing? So I am slightly scared. <laughs> you scared me when you were talking about having lunch with psychopaths because in my, so casually as well. In my uneducated head, I'm putting my tray. You know, got my tray there with my, my food and fork, and I sit down next to a psychopath, and he looks at me and he picks up his fork and he sticks it the back of my hand. But when you start going through those character traits. I just pointed at you, Joe, slightly tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, but you realise it's a podcast. That yeah, they exactly. can't it, was a see pri- it. it was a private joke for you and me. I didn't get it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write you a note next time. But I'm sure people will listen to this. And some of those characteristics, Mark, that you're using to define as a psychopath, people are going to be thinking, sounds a bit like Dave in the office. Is that a thing? Are they, are they walking amongst us? 
The short answer is is no, because the vast majority of people, certainly in the UK, which is the research that I've done, have zero psychopathic traits, like none. Some people about the same number have like a half a psychopathic trait. So somebody who's a bit impulsive might get a half a point on, say, the psychopathy scale. But to be a, a clinically diagnosed psychopath, you have to score 30 out of 40. Is, is that on the PCLR test nailed it uh, on, this is outstanding sorry mate invented by a bob hair is it hair. a canadian is he canadian he or? is indeed canadian so, yeah, is, yeah. so is that still the test that's used in psychiatry and sorry whilst we're on that what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist I guess so a psychologist is uh, somebody who studies the mind and they can do that for academic purposes like me or they can be a clinical psychologist who works to try and make people better so they might treat people with psychopathy or psychotic disorder and there's also forensic psychologists like Bob yeah. who work on the idea of the link between mental disorder and crime so why does somebody commit crime is it anything to do with the fact that they're a psychopath or that they have schizophrenia or that they're chronically depressed or they have a, a psychiatrist on the other hand is someone who's involved with treatment mainly so their main concern is how to treat those disorders but increasingly the lines blur and everybody's sort of converging towards the middle so I get called all sorts of things <laughs> Including <laughs> psychiatrist, psychologist, forensic psychologist. Whilst we're on the name calling, um, a shrink. Tom, do you know the background on a shrink? Is a shrink a psychiatrist? You know, is the American or is it an term? American yeah, term? Yeah. Head shrinker. Psychiatrist is a head shrinker. A smaller they head is better, is it? is it? They want a smaller head? What's that? <laughs> it's, I think it's partly from uh, the fact that psychiatrists did use to lobotomise people. Uh, as <gasps> I, I'd really, people. really like to get onto that because some of the weird different um psychiatric methods that they used back in like the 40s there was i read about one that um there was a load of psychopaths put into a room and given lsd what and it gets better what, what, what who was it i can't remember who they formed who a band and kiss was formed <laughs> there we go um they used lsd to try and treat psychopathy yeah absolutely they were also not supposed to wear any clothes while they were taking the lsd was, so yeah. it was naked lsd and counter therapy but the the result of that and weren't they trying to work out whether they could cure it or the, and it actually turned out that 80 percent of the people that are involved in that experiment went on to re-offend anyway this is excellent research i'm not really sure that you need me here but yes yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, honestly work. i'm so fascinated by the mind i've uh, personally had a lot of struggles with my mind which i've explored it more to try and get a better understanding of it and i'm still trying to explore that but the thing with uh, psychopaths that i'm most interested in is are you born a psychopath are you born with a, a genetic chemical imbalance in your brain that that says you're bound to be a psychopath mate or does horrific things happen to you growing up does the, what what is it I'll do my best. I mean, this is not an easy question by any means. So, Well, that's why we've got the psychopath expert in to answer it. And <laughs> you are now under the spotlight. Can we dim the lights in here as well? Just so everyone knows no just pressure then. Yeah. No pressure. So the, originally there was a distinction between the terms psychopath and sociopath. And that was intended to indicate that a psychopath was somebody who was born bad. They were genetically predisposed to not care about other people, to tell lies, to be criminals. And a sociopath was someone who'd just grown up that way because of a bad environment. Like maybe they had to go into the care system very early. Maybe they learned criminal behaviours mixed with the wrong crowd. But over time, we don't really use the term sociopath anymore. And when we do, it just means it's taken to mean the same thing as psychopaths, as somebody who's sort of callous, manipulative, doesn't really show any remorse for their actions, struggles to show empathy. So just on the layman's terms of that for me is that the psychopath was used as someone who was born with that and a sociopath is someone that develops it that isn't the case anymore no they're just used interchangeably now so there's a, a great book by um, a masked author called emmy thomas who which is about a female psychopath and she's obviously a psychopath and identifies in that way but it's called diary of a sociopath for reasons probably more related to the publishing industry than any kind of yeah that's an awkward reality <laughs> this this scale that you talk about mark so i'm fascinated by this so it's out of 40 is it it is, yes. Go on so, 40. so at 30, you're a psychopath. That's that's the idea. Although in the UK, you can get away with 27. Well, I was going to say... Which, which you can what, get away what, with it. At what point, like as 25, 
like you know life and soul of the party and then 26 is whoa 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 i'm worried stop looking at me <laughs> i've done the test mate you know i'm fine 39 out of 40 is not an issue <laughs> this is a really important question like is half a point here or there going to make a big difference to the way that somebody acts and the but, answer is well probably not so you've got this pclr test 20 different inventory points that you have to tick how do you know the psychopath is telling you the truth you don't What's it about reading them? Well, pathological lying is one of the traits of psychopathy. And I suppose pathological lying is a bit different to like, you know, we all have a friend who likes to be um, a little bit economical with the truth. Full of shit. <laughs> Bullshito, is that what uh, <laughs> calls it? They are a Bullshito. But the um, pathological lying is just the sort of the inability to tell the truth because it, it's less exciting than lies, basically. So we think that part of the psychopathic disorder is related to the limbic system. This is the, the system that interfaces your brain to your spine and controls really basic things like motor function and that's where lying comes from it's basically when your brain is switched to sort of idle mode you can just spout any old nonsense and we think because psychopaths often have less developed limbic systems particularly the amygdala which is a gland right in the middle of the brain i knew it was that what i kept right magdala magdalene but that's Jesus's ex, isn't it? Sort of controversial topic, but yeah. So, is it, so say that again for me. Amygdala. Amygdala. That was it. I kept getting it wrong. But that means that psychopaths lie a lot. So you just <laughs> you you can't. So surely the anything. test the test is flawed. No, no, huh? no. Because you, you you do interview somebody you, you want to do the PCLR test with, but you also have to do what's called a collateral test. So you'll have transcripts of interviews with other people, the depositions in the court when they were sentenced, all the inf- information you've got about their behaviour in prison or on probation or in mental hospital things like that and you'll use all of that information to make a judgment about it i mean it's still a bit ropey in many respects the best thing to have is somebody else who was there when they were growing up who can corroborate things like were they a juvenile delinquent did they struggle to control their behavior unless that person's a psychopath and they're lying (laughs) yeah this is such a confusing world and that happens as well i'm sure there there was also a case I, i read about that this guy called tony who's in broadmoor said that he did, I think it was ABH or GBH, committed a crime, was given seven years, I think it was, and his mates told him to say, look, if you pretend to be crazy or go down the insanity route, you get sent to one of these hospitals, it's cushy, you get a PlayStation, you're, you're sweet, as, you just carry on, do you know what I mean? You'll be fine, just say that. So he did. But in doing that, he was using film quotes uh, from Clockwork Orange and stuff, literally direct film quotes by all accounts. And they went, he needs to go to Broadmoor. And then it dawned on him, he went, shit, they actually think I'm a psychopath here. Then every time he's tried to come in out of saying, I'm not psychopathic, I'm trying to be normal, they're like, well, that's the trait of a psychopath now. So then he tries uh, withdrawing and, and not socialising with anyone else in the prison. And they're like, it's a classic sign of a psychopath, <laughs> withdrawing from social environments. One of the questions I think was, uh, someone who spends a lot of time with psychopaths is a psychopath and he's like i'm in broadmoor (laughs) (laughs) choice i I can't win but after hearing this story i was like but i don't know whether he's lying or telling the truth now and there was part of me that's like oh he's trapped in this now or is he or is he playing a really good double bluff here knowing a little bit about that case the guy was trying to malinger which is to feign mental illness when we say mental illness we don't usually mean psychopathy we usually mean psychotic so you know speaking in film quotes psychopaths by definition, are not psychotic. They're oriented in time and space. They know who they are. They know who the prime minister is. They know what day it is. And malingering to the extent where you'd be um, accepted as having a, a mental illness is just very, very hard. You almost have to be a doctor or a psychologist yourself to do it. Now, what's interesting about, let's call him Tony, is that he wasn't sent to the mental illness ward. He was sent to the psychopathy ward. So what probably happened is that the doctor thought, you're trying to malinger and you're clearly very dangerous, so I'm sending you to the psychopath ward rather than to the cushy mental illness ward. Now, that might have actually worked out all right for Tony because... In the, the unit that I used to work in in Hackney, we had a pool table. The queues went out all the time, but you could request them just like anything else. We had a chess set. We had all kinds of things that could potentially be weapons, but were never used in that way because this was a, an environment that was well-contained and calm and people knew each other. I went to a, a unit in Holland about 10 years ago and they had like craft knives out everywhere. So, so Dutch, say. that, isn't it? So <laughs> How is it just chilled? You're not, that is awful, it's okay, it's that is a really. How is that your Nelson Mandela? Hello, welcome. Oh, bollocks, I fuck the accents. 
Schmuck and a pancake, yeah. That was great, Mandela. <laughs> so it's a good Mandela. Thank you so much. Honestly, I've been waiting for a long time for someone to actually appreciate how good my... Hello. Welcome. Hmm. The um, So let's say someone's listened to this, Mark, and they're now slightly worried that they know a psychopath. A, how do they make sure? And B, how do they deal with them? So there are people who um, live around us, or who live in modern society quite happily as psychopaths, but don't commit crimes. So there's a the case of a guy called Jim Fallon, who's a professor at Stanford University in the States, and he was doing a test for psychopaths, and, and actually I think it was amygdala dysfunction in psychopaths, and he had a criminal sample, and then he had a sample of controls, uh, who were just people he brought in from the street to do a quick brain scan, and then looked at how they compared to the, the prisoners. And he came across this one from the control group, and he's like, wow, this doesn't look good, this guy's got virtually no amygdala activation whatsoever. And he was like, wow, we've got a, a bona fide psychopath. And he looked that, at... That's a really good accent. It's better just, than your Just while we're... Yeah. yeah, so just... Cheers. Thanks. <laughs> it's not my main game. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and he said, well, well, who is this? So he looked through his list and he remembered that he himself had scanned himself <gasps> as a control. No. And it was oh. his own brain scanning. No. And he was a psychopath. And you see interviews oh. with him and he's so, like, well... Hang on a minute. He was the doctor. He was the doctor. Right. Because so, that was one of my questions is... Is there any correlation between psychopath spotters, i.e. doctors, Mark that. Sorry, and psychopaths? How do I know, Mark, with the greatest respect, you might actually be a psychopath, and because you know how psychopath experts work, you're doing that now? Oh, you're scaring the life out of me, if I'm honest. <laughs> so the, the way that, for me, the easiest way to explain what a psychopath is, is somebody who's missing really fundamental aspects of how they relate to other people and how their emotions function. And it's very, very difficult to pretend to be missing something. You almost have to sort of sit in your hands and bite your lip and never really move to sort of convey that you're not listening to what people are saying or that you're just you're absolutely convinced you're the best person in the world because other people don't sort of enter into your worldview. Another thing is that psychopaths are not neurotic. They have virtually no anxiety. Now, Bob Hare knows that uh, this is a controversial subject and we've had a discussion about this before, but psychopaths don't really tend to show anxiety. And really, another item on the PCR should be lax anxiety. So when all of us get up in the morning, we think, oh, God, I'm going to do a podcast this afternoon and I, I don't even know why i'm doing this i've got I, I know nothing i'm not an expert why they could call me that leave me alone when you have that kind <laughs> an of insight feeling, into mark's mind brilliant that's exactly <laughs> what we were looking for but those kind of things disqualify you from being a psychopath because a psychopath's brain doesn't have that level of nuanced emotional function to say well this social situation is going to be complicated and difficult and therefore i should think about it more and work out what i'm going to say they would say oh god more people could a psychopath be a happy person? I, I know some very, very happy psychopaths. Oh, They're fr- frustrated with being in prison, sure. Does that mean, uh, when you say you know some happy psychopaths, does that mean that you can be a psychopath and good? Are there such things as good psychopaths? Well, going back to Jim Fallon, I mean, he was a psychopath in every respect, although, interestingly, on the psychopathy checklist, there's a whole bunch of stuff there about crime. So Jim's never committed a crime, as far as we know, and, you know, he's got no reason to lie. That's what a psychopath would lead you to believe. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, And pathological lying, of course. But he said, when I saw my brain scan, I was like, oh, yeah. Whenever I sit down in a room with people, I'm just like, and I think he literally says, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? Who are these people? I don't give a shit. And that is, you know, it's a great insight into how a psychopath's mind works because the other people around you are sort of, you know, yeah, they're there and you've got to interact with them. But, you know, who cares at the end of the day? So is Jim's still walking the streets. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Well, just whereabouts? Yeah, which countries? Where shall I avoid? Uh, north eastern seaboard of the united states but oh, his kids magic. were like you know well dad's just like that that's dad and, and he's always been like that and yeah you know it could be a bit difficult but <laughs> just you, a tad that it makes the point that unless you have an environment that's very destructive and, and sort of teaches you that violence or crime are the you know the way you need to live your life it's quite possible to be a psychopath and be pretty well integrated into uh, into society Whoa. well they do that just on that that the correlation between a lot of the high-end jobs in the corporate world, CEOs, lawyers, he actually mentioned chefs as well. Think about the chefs you see on TV, Joe, like the ones who are shouting all the time, swearing. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think they're too obvious to be psychopaths. I like the, like the, the quieter ones. The sous chef in the corner. Yeah, he hasn't spoken all day, but he's got the chopping board and he's got the knife. Really sharp tomato knife. Did you know there's a tomato knife? Is there? Yeah, there's Is a, it serrated? Yeah, it's a small serrated... Is it curved? Uh, yeah, it's curved slightly, and it's for cutting tomatoes. Sorry, 
um, the, the correlation, there's actually, you tick a lot of boxes as an elite sportsman, which some of my teammates are, <laughs> um, that drive, that selfishness, that high sort of, um, under pressure, they stay, remain very calm and, and you start, I think you start second guessing and questioning, you're like, fucking hell, but so there are those correlations between uh, uh, sportsmen and elite stuff and psychopaths which is slightly disconcerting i guess that if we think about individual sports like you guys must be familiar with the concept of the zone mm. yeah in, in the zone you're able to screen out all the unnecessary distractions and focus on exactly what matters and in a way there are some parallels with that and what a psychopath does in their brain when they're confronted with a situation because they don't have that noise, they don't have the weight of expectation, they don't have social nuance, they don't particularly have social values except as far as they're concerned with, well, what do I get out of this and how can I best achieve that? It's again like the absence of that sort of noise. So there are parallels with that except with a sportsman. All of the elite sportsmen I know, you know, they can turn it off when the, you know, the adrenaline goes down and the, the match is over, they're back to normal again. But in that moment, I mean, if you've ever seen somebody warming up for a tennis match or, or whatever and they've got their headphones on, there's this very sort of fixed, rigid stare as they try to get into that sort of performance zone. And <laughs> that look reminds me of a couple of men that I've worked with in prison where there's this constantly <laughs> sort of scanning, what can I get from this situation? And they're absolutely focused. And part of working with psychopaths is you just have to be so careful with everything you do because anything can potentially be used as a compromising situation. There was a, a situation on the ward about 10 years ago where somebody left a, a walkie-talkie on the ward and one of the patients picked it up and started calling all the different call signs to try and get somebody to react to a spurious incident on the ward. So this wasn't a major breach of security, as it turns out, but it could quite easily have been. Joe, this feels like it's going quite well, but we need to do an ad break. Yeah, you know the adverts we talked about? Yes. So you want me to do that bit? I think we have to. Okay. Do you want me to whisper it so they can't hear? No, well, we don't want Mark to hear, but he's looking at us a bit strange now. So just do it, and then we need to tell people what's coming up after, otherwise they just go. In the second half of the show. Yeah, but louder. Oh, okay. In the second half of the show, Dr. Mark talks about Ted Bundy and others. Here are the adverts. Here are the adverts. Here are the adverts. You know, it's good. Thank you. This is the story of Whitney Houston, of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. That feeling. That feeling. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Right, that's that done. Advert done. Tom, what is our next question on psychopaths? Are you more likely to be a psychopath as a man than a woman? By the way that we understand psychopathy currently, yes, massively. So we back when the Dangerous and Severe Personality Disorder Service, the Psychopath Treatment Service was commissioned in the UK, there were 2,000 beds for men and 40 for women, of which only, I think, 12 were ever actually filled. So a psychopathy checklist has some problems because it is actually quite skewed because it's so behavioural rather than focusing on cognition and emotion, which a psychologist would argue that it should be. It tends to pick up male psychopaths much more easily than females. But in the book, I talk about um, Angela Simpson in the States, and she has all of the traits. So definitely there are women who meet all of the psychopathy traits, and they can do, uh, but it's just far more likely that men will do that. Why is that then? Is that a biological thing in the brain? No, I think it's the way that men are brought up and sort of, you know, I think it's sort of slowly socially changing. But this idea that, you know, it's more acceptable for men to be criminals. So I remember when, uh, you know, I started uh, getting involved in TV consulting. It's like we want a female assassin. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. It's just not a thing, you know, because all the guys who do hit work for the mob and everything, they're all men. But then how the hell did you come up with... So you, you were a consultant for Eve, weren't you? That's right, yes, yeah. So I, the, the character comes from a like a little set of novellas by Luke Jennings. So that, that idea of a female assassin was, was already out there. But, you know, when I first saw Jodie playing out this character, it, it's just absolutely spectacular how well she nailed. The, the scene that I was shown was uh, she's in the psychiatrist's office and they show her pictures of, uh, you know, people being hung. Uh, and people being shot and murdered and she's just like yeah well and then they show her a picture of a dog <laughs> just casually yeah yeah just like yeah. completely as if it's nothing they show her a picture of a dog and she's like oh 
oh, oh no, oh. And then there's a sort of beat for the everyone to sort of start getting anxious that something's going to happen. Then she just bursts into laughter and goes, ah, I got you. And that is perfectly psychopathic because in order to do that, you'd have to have read the situation, understand exactly what people wanted from you, tantalise them with a response, and then just yanked it away. Like, no, you're not getting it from me. Fuck you. There's no reason. Are you, what authority do you have over me? And that scene, when I saw it, I was just like, this woman completely understands this role in a way that I would never have been able to explain it to her. It's a little bit similar to um, Alice in Luther, who's just, like, from the first minute you th- She's shooting her parents. Was it her parents and her, and her brother? Sorry, and then the dog. And she's emptied the gun in the dog and burnt and all that lot. She's clever, so, you know, sharp and thingy. And yet she's wonderful. Yeah, I warmed to her. I'm like, oh, she's, I'd love to have her as a friend. They have a sort of, it's called a glib and superficial charm. So it basically means if you have an interaction of 10 minutes or less with a psychopath who meets that criteria, they can charm the pants off you. They can be warm, appear interested. And we think that the reason for that is that people who lack the ability to mentalise or understand the emotions that other people are feeling, well, you can't sort of exist in society if you can't do that. So what they do is they make up based on the experiences they've had, what they think that other people should be thinking in that situation. And that means for a very short space of time, they can be very caring and approachable and kind-looking. And it's only ever short, is it? But they can't can't maintain it. it it. Eventually, sooner or later, they'll either become irritated or they'll just sort of say, oh, well, you know, time to go now, if they're very good, and move on. To make her a psychopath, I think, was the challenging bit and how to make that authentic, because there isn't really a go-to female psychopathic assassin in reality. This has long been a theory, but because of things like the psychopathy checklist being so biased towards detecting psychopathy in men rather than women, we don't detect them reliably enough. And there have been attempts to change that, but... The PCLR is really heavily embedded in like psycholegal practice. So in the States, it can determine literally whether you are sent to a hospital or a prison or whether you get the death penalty or whether you don't. And it's not even consistent because in some US states, you get the chair if you're a psychopath. And in some US states, you won't get the chair if you're a psychopath because you've got a mental disorder. Has that test not been updated? When was the last time that was updated? 1998. Yeah. <laughs> I look at that then, that I concern go... concern you, Joe? That was slightly concerning. I... Surely it needs updating. If you get to the point where you, back in whenever the, when, when they stopped lobotomies and all that creepy stuff where they keep your eyes open for... Clockwork orange stuff. Clockwork orange stuff, you know, with, with the like... You know those things where you curl your eyebrow, eyelashes? They look the same, don't they? They look the same. That's always I freaked thought me that out. was thingy. Have you ever curled your eyebrow? I, I do that. Do you? Yeah, sometimes. It really gives you a nice look. A little lift. But that's You've one got of my, nice eyes, those it, Yeah, they yeah. are one of my best features. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. Are you trying to charm me? Just being honest with a friend, you've got lovely eyes. Okay, thanks. Um, but you know, so they've stopped that. They stopped that stuff. They stopped the electric shock therapy and all that. At what point do they then go? Hang on, this test's now twenty plus years old. We kind of need to update it a bit. That is an excellent question, Joe. And I think it's one that a large number of people have been trying to push for for a very long length for a long length of time for a long time no a long length of time but i think yeah. if you um if something is very established in legal practice like that it takes a long time to change it perhaps the only hope that's left is that the problem is psychopathy is still not a mental disorder it's not in that list of 372 disorders that you mentioned at all there've been really big attempts to get it into the DSM, that's the American Manual for Mental Disorder and the World Health Organization. Why, why is it not in as a mental disorder? Because it's it's controversial, and I think part of the reason it's controversial is what I was saying. Like it's it has all these biases because there's so much behaviour in it. You're not talking about the way that people feel or the way that they think. You're talking about the way that they act, and there could be lots and lots of reasons why somebody would act violently or act aggressively. Yeah. But because there's been a recognition of a need to acknowledge that psychopaths exist and to be able to detect them, particularly because they're so hard to rehabilitate. The PCLR's got kind of stuck in there and become very, very overvalued as a, a checklist when actually we need a lot more nuance about how we think about psychopaths. I presume because there's been a number of convictions and stuff based on that test, the PCLR test, if you were then to update it, there'd be a whole furore around, hang on a minute. On the new one, I'm clear. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Can I redo it? It's not like... SATs or GCSEs. Yeah. You just go, I'll just redo it and I'm one point less and oh, I'm out. You know, like on the, I looked up at some of the big psychopaths. Ted Bundy scored 39 out of 40 on that PCLR test. Is that the record score? No, I've met people with a score of 40. No. So you're literally saying they're worse than Ted Bundy? 
Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, he's not. That's not the one you were talking about. I didn't mean Jesus Christ scored 40 out of 40, just to clear that up. Bundy was quite a uniquely horrible character. Uh, I love how you've casually just gone like, yeah, Bundy. Yeah. Bundog. Bundizzle. Well, but, that, but that's, I mean, this is part of the, there's a bit of subjectivity about some of this stuff. Like, you know, Bundy was right to his death when he was on a, you know, a ventilator. He was still trying to manipulate the people around him by dropping tidbits about where or where there might not be bodies buried and, and you know, dragging out the suffering of the families of the victims. And that's beyond psychopathy for me. That's Machiavellian, which is trying to command, you know, manipulate the people around you for your own ends. And it's also deeply sadistic. And those aren't necessarily traits of psychopaths. So it would be possible to score highly on the psychopathy checklist and not be quite as horrible uh, as Ted Bundy. That is, is Machiavellian a bad thing? Because in some situations, you need to manipulate the people around you in order to, to get them to, to do something for the good. So like in, in, in my profession, rugby, sometimes you need to manipulate. As soon as you say manipulate, it's... What you're so, saying is the captain needs to go to the referee and persuade him it's not a penalty to the opposition. Technically, he's manipulating the referee there. But as soon as you use the word manipulation, you immediately think, oh, it's negative, isn't it? But is that Machiavellian? Machiavellian. Yeah, well, so th- this is the, we're back to the same point again. Like, the question is, can you switch it off? If you recognise there's a situation where your team needs a particular thing and it's crucial to your victory, will you go ahead and try everything that you can, including manipulating people to get that? Yeah. Fine, fair enough. But if that's your default setting, you know, yeah. one of the great things about great things, that's not the right word, but one of the <laughs> exceptional things about Got Bundy. Be very careful here. <laughs> one of the gr- wonder, wondrous things about Bundy, you know, is this, is, this is not a Bundy appreciation pod. I'm it sorry, Mark. It's not. No, I hope that I've made that clear. But this is the sort of, you know, the academic interest versus yeah. trying to make moral judgments. But one of the fascinating <laughs> things about Bundy is that he never switched that off. You know, he's gone through his whole life. He's chronically ill. He's never dropped this presentation of being a totally Machiavellian psychopath. Whereas you've got Dennis Nielsen, who... So the police have gone round to his flat because they've found human remains in the drains. He doesn't try and deny it, does he? He says... The first thing he says to them is, oh, yeah, there's two more bodies in bin bags in the cupboard. The lack of remorse, the lack of any empathy for what you've done, it's pretty classic. And, and Bundy, I suppose, himself is interesting because he comes from an all-right background, superficially middle-class family generally all right upbringing but it's only when you dig a little bit deeper you realize that there's probably some very sinister thing a relationship with his grandfather and some abuse going on and you start to sort of put it all together but yeah those some of the american serial killers and the other difficulty is you can't necessarily overlap serial killers with psychopaths there's quite a lot of overlap because in my experience the dedication it takes to actually kill someone it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of energy and planning and aggression and hostility and rage you seem to know a lot about that and that comes more readily to psychopaths there's also a theory about this sort of you know as you mentioned the start joke rubbing off on you after a time Mm. and you do notice after a long period of time you start to become slightly more callous to people's suffering and you start to think well you know who's really accountable for anything why should it be me so you might get a peak age for a psychopath so dennis nielsen didn't kill his first victim until he was 33 years old so that he had no criminal background before he was 33 he was a chef in the army and then he joined the chef there you go that ticks chef there we go yeah chef in the army so do people get more psychopathic with age no it's usually the opposite but what psychopaths do have is they struggle to learn from failure but they very very keen to learn from reward the more successful they are, the more likely they are to repeat doing that. But I guess, you know, I work with the people who've been caught, so I would say this, but generally they can't learn from the failures that they've made. So if somebody does something bad and gets caught, they can't figure out why they did that or how they can change it. So often there's a real failure to accept responsibility. I worked with a guy for a number of years who had raped his wife and he couldn't accept that it was possible for a husband to rape his wife. And it took him such a long time to accept this very basic fundamental point that, yes, you know, you don't have rights of sexual power over your partner just because you're married to them. And it was very, very difficult for him because he couldn't understand the basis of why what he'd done was wrong. And this is part of the sort of entitlement complex that psychopaths often have. Like, I am entitled to do these terrible things to other people because, you know, what do other people matter at the end of the day? I'm here on this earth to be me. Therefore, anything I do is right because I'm I'm me. And they don't have that sort of social conscience that tells the rest of us, no, you can't do that because you're only going to succeed by working with other people. Really interesting thought experiment I sometimes do is like, what if you just put a large number of psychopaths onto a relatively deserted island? What would happen? 
would they form a kind of very different sort of society or would it be totally dysfunctional would it be chaos i really don't know the answer to that because sometimes i've seen psychopaths sort of reach a level of understanding that they all have problems relating to each other and i've also seen it be a sort of a dogfight where everybody wants to be the top dog and what interestingly one of the main criteria for being top dog is how high is your pclr score so the higher the piece of a badge of honour. All right, mate. I got a 32. Yeah, 32. I'll piss on that with my 38. <laughs> I raise you with my 37. Like they're just sat there playing trumps with their PCLR scores. <laughs> And it got so bad that we stopped printing people's scores on their reports because they were being used <laughs> no. to basically score like points. Like a certificate. So had, yeah, 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 you go. Yeah. You got a gold a star. So we had to start using percentiles and Z scores. It's better than giving people LSD, though, isn't it? Well, I don't know, because when I read about that LSD experiment, one of the men on it, he had been sent there for car theft or something, and he was chained up. You were buddied up during this experiment, and one of them was like a, a child serial killer that he was chained and he said... He was the nicest bloke in there. He had such a wonderful time with him. He couldn't believe that the man he had been chained to or buddied up with during this experiment was a serial child killer. He couldn't get his head around that because the person he'd met was actually quite warm, charming, nice, as like a mate. He said it makes his skin crawl now, knowing that what he did and how he actually felt about it. He was like, oh, this bloke's all right. You know, he's a power mark. Do you know like that? But actually turns out he's fucking Well, we're, we're not talking about psychopaths here, but child killers and child sex offenders are fantastic at compartmentalisation. So they're able to sort of justify, rationalise and box up these weird, horrible, dark, sadistic feelings and just sort of leave them in their brains in a way that it's very difficult for any of us to imagine because we would think about guilt and shame and just sort of the, the horror of what we'd done. And for most offenders, to be honest, you do something terrible, it traumatises you, it keeps coming back. And yet for this group of men, they found a way of just packaging it up inside themselves that they could be perfectly normal, personable, even charming people. But when you look at the... <laughs> The rap sheet. The rap sheet, yeah, thank you. It's, it's just horrifying. With all the work that you've done with, with psychopaths, Mark, have you ever, and despite all your experience, have you ever found a situation where you've, you've walked out of a consultation and you suddenly think, oh, they've played me there? Oh, no, the pause. It wasn't just for the water. He's like, oh, shit, do I have to really tell this one? Well, I got really played uh, early on in my career, actually. I just started working in a, a hospital, and I was working with this guy, and he seemed very charming. Um, and he had a very sort of strong narrative about how his offence wasn't his fault, and it was a co-defendant. It was a pretty horrible offence. They'd burnt someone to death. But I thought, well, OK, you know, he seems nice enough. How bad can this be? We'd started playing guitar together. There was a guitar club that we played. And I said dangerous, slippery slope, oh, this slippery is... slope straight away. <laughs> so he's burnt a man to death. Yeah. Suddenly, and you suddenly just, you're playing you guitar just, with him. Yeah. I'm not questioning because I don't know. And obviously you're the expert in this, but someone's burnt someone to death. And I'm not being rude, but you've gone. The best way here to help you is to sit and slap the bass with you. You just slap at a bass, man. Let's, let's just jam. Let's have a jam session to try and get it all out. Well, I think I think it was well, nothing else has worked. You know, uh, how can we try and get the guitar? Get it? Well, you know, why not? Yeah, and also um, I think just from a like trying to keep things on an even keel in a hospital, you need people to be involved in doing things, and they need to feel that you're invested in them. I think otherwise, it's not nothing that you tell them about how they offended or how they need to change is really going to settle in unless they can connect to you in some way. And, and actually, the guitar club was great because it provided a slightly different side of me as opposed to sort of you know academic psychologist. It's like, well, how can you understand what my life was like? Well, it's, you know, not really, but at least we can play White Stripes on it. Yeah, what tunes do you go for? Dun, What's the opening dun, tune that you dun, play with dun, a psychopath? Dun, Actually, Seven Nation Army was a good one. Hotel Yorba by the White Stripes. Yeah, was a good, one. good um, knockabout tune. There's a lot of Leonard Cohen that we used to play, and some people got really, some, by, some of the patients got really, really into it. It's not hugely uplifting, Leonard Cohen. No, it really This is mind-blowing. I'm just picturing you guys. and <laughs> takes you down to- is that- Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Good baritone. Good baritone. But I, you know, we've been doing this guitar club for a couple of months and he said, oh, you know, would you mind bringing me in some sheet music, particularly like Radiohead, things like that. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, sure, you seem like a nice enough guy. So and I went home and I printed these things out. And when I came back, he was nowhere to be found. And everyone was really sort of stressed out. And I brought the sheet music in with me. So I'd, you know, taken the bait and hook, line and sinker. And it turns out that while I'd been away for just a week and a half or so, it had turned out that this guy was having a relationship, sexual relationship with one of the staff inside the hospital. 
he'd been manipulating this person to bring in pornography, oh. drugs, cigarettes. My point is that I was going down the same road. I was about to do this thing. And, that, you know, like I said, that was a long time. It was very early on. But I think just since then, I've had to switch on a bit of a, a sort of an alert for anyone asking me to do things within a hospital or a prison. I have to really think, what do they want? Don't trust anyone. Don't trust Especially anyone. a psychopath. Who's burnt someone to death. Oh, wow. Wow. Can you cure it? Like, can you cure psychopathy? Well, yes and no. So psychopathy is partly a disorder of behaviour and a disorder of emotion. Now, the, the more sort of impulsive behavioural style stuff just naturally erodes over time. So naturally, you know, when you get past about 45, you stop being quite so impulsive. Pretty much, you know, however psychopathic or how antisocial you were, that's sort of, we call we say it burns out over time. Is, is that related to testosterone levels as well? It could possibly be. It seems to change the, the attitudes as well. So the criminal attitudes fade away as well, which wouldn't be just due to, say, someone's testosterone changing. So we know that stuff sort of burns out. But what doesn't burn out is the sort of core features of, let's say, a classic clinical psychopath. So the glib and superficial charm, the conning manipulative behaviour, the grandiosity, the lack of remorse. Now, we can either try and treat that directly, and there are new therapies for that, or we can just say, well, that's just the way this person is. But what we're trying to do is decouple it from aggressive, violent behaviour. Uh, and I think for the last 20 years, we've mainly been trying to do the latter, just say, well, you know, this person's a psychopath, we can't change that. Let's just manage their behaviour until they've burnt out enough for us to release them. But increasingly, there are ideas about, well, maybe we can allow people to to sort of relearn these these emotional reasoning skills, to learn how to recognise emotions in themselves and others. So mentalisation-based therapy is one where it's very much focused on, OK, well, hang on, you're getting very upset here. Can you tell me what it is about what I'm saying that's upsetting you? That's potentially very promising. But there's no drug that we've come across so far that has any kind of long-term therapeutic benefit on psychopaths. It's not a problem that so far we can solve with medication. That bit that you touched on, Sam, about relearning, it just reminded me of a story that of this woman, I can't remember her name, I'm going to say it was Mary, she was locked in a basement at a unit and they, uh, she was schizophrenic, I think, and uh, in order to try and treat her, they made her become a baby or turned her into the baby state to begin with, so she wasn't clothed. She started talking in babble talk and all that sort of stuff, and she actually lived in a basement that was called, ended up being called the shit room, I think, because her feces and everything. She was smearing up the walls. She was just everywhere. But apparently, she started to paint with her feces, and actually was quite a good artist with it. And uh, ended up later on, like forty plus. We're going to have to double check all these facts. But... We certainly are. <laughs> About 40 plus years later, she, oh no, during that they said, hang on, there might be something in this. Let's give her some paints as opposed to another pile of shit for her to paint on the walls with. So they started giving her some painted Genius. stuff. Who thought of that? Who thought of that? And, uh, and she, she became a fantastic artist. And as I've said the story out loud, I, <laughs> I realize it's got nothing to do with the answer you just gave. So I'll shut the fuck up. But no, no, it, Joe, it, it does, Joe, because... Thank you, things, please, uh, please say it's got something. Let me use my knowledge please. to save you from drowning. <laughs> what, what we do know is that the problem is most of the men that I meet are in their, actually, to be honest, probably like mid-30s, 40s. And by that stage, most of your thinking patterns are pretty rigid. But there's been a lot of research in the States with kids who are sort of 15, 16, 17, who are starting to show that sort of psychopathic disconnection, the pathological lying, the lack of remorse. And they almost always have some kind of very negative environment around them. So they've been abused or neglected. And the research shows that if you expose those people to the kind of stimuli that they've been missing out on, for example, they're often inner city kids. If you take them out into the countryside and let them just sort of learn at their own pace, talking to other people, go out with them and just have authentic conversations about feelings, very quickly they can actually regrow, like physically, not just in terms of their thinking, but their limbic system that's been lacking will regrow very quickly. Wow, knew it. I knew my story was relevant. <laughs> so yeah. in Mary's case, it could well be that she was found early enough to be still able to develop those things. The problem is when you get to be an adult and you've got a long rap sheet, which is usually when I tend to meet people, we can't teach your brain to start growing new bits. We have to work with what we've got. And that often is very difficult because people are quite set in their ways. And there's 
psychopathy, sure, but there's also, you know, the con code. Like, you don't rat anyone out. You don't accept responsibility for what you did. It's always somebody else. Why should I talk to you? You're a psychologist. You're some kind of middle-class wanker. Why should I be interested in what you have to say, which I've been called so many times. <laughs> so over it. Um, and by that point, it's just much, much harder to make the case for somebody yeah. to change and for their brains to be able to adapt around these new environments as well. So it's a, just a case of identifying the problems early enough. So, Joe, this story about Mary and the Pooh, as you're telling me that story, I'm picking loads of holes in it. So I've Googled it. Um, it turns out that 95% of what you've told us is true. I know that what I've said is true. However, I'm upset that you didn't believe me. Can you see why? I need to charm you more and manipulate <laughs> you more in the future. Should we get I, the guitars? Oh, God. LSD. Pro- <laughs> probably wait till I retire. Um <laughs> Mark, you've got a book out. It's doing really well. What's, is it about this sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I hope it is. <laughs> Otherwise, we've just got a psychopath expert in who's actually written a children's book. <laughs> a comedy novel. Yeah. About recording podcast. <laughs> no, it's uh, called Making a Psychopath. It's about, I suppose, seven of the more interesting cases that I've been made aware of or I've worked with uh, throughout my career. It's not an academic book, even though I am an academic. It's intended to be sort of a an introduction to thinking about psychopathy and how it affects people and how we can try to work with the people who have that diagnosis a little bit better in the future. No, mate, I don't know about you, Tom, but I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, Mark. This has been, it's one of my favourite topics to discuss, the mind, the, the emotion, all that sort of stuff. So I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you and uh, thank you for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers, Mark. Thank you, mate. Thank you, guys. Joe Mahler's show. I thought that went all right, Joe. I really enjoyed it. That doesn't mean that other people enjoy it, but fuck, he spent so much time around psychopaths. As he, he's naturally gonna pick up. He must have picked up a lot of the ways. Or does it? Or why am I asking all these fucking questions? <laughs> fuck me. Well, we should be back next Wednesday with another hopefully fascinating guest with an amazing job. If you need a podcast to listen to in the meantime, try Murder in House 2. It's a 10-part series. If you love true crime podcasts, you'll love this. It's taken 15 years to make this podcast, unlike ours, Joe, which takes about an hour. It's about a group of Marines who went into a village in the Iraq War and killed 24 innocent civilians, a lot of them women and children. It also includes some top-secret recordings. Check it out. Just search for Murder in House 2. You read that really well. Thank you. That was very much. Um, who, who have we got next week then? Exciting times. We have a zookeeper. A zookeeper. I don't. I because you did the funny voice. I've started trying to do the zookeeper in a not very good version of your Rachel Ledadeji. No, your voice is quite good, but not as good as this one. So next week, tune in to listen to a zookeeper. Hashtag grow the show if you want. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.